thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we move into what is now the, the third part of our focus on the armor of God. As we've been studying the book of Ephesians, one of the things that um, we've seen is, is so amazing about Paul's writing is uh, his ability to be able to capture this big picture of um, what Christ has done and the place that we have in the family of God and this belonging that we have to one another through Christ Jesus. And he kind of gives us this big view and then he brings it down into this is how you relate to one another. This is how you live as a community of faith, caring for one another. This is what it means to to work out that um, understanding of Christ in us in relationship with one another and seeing how that impacts those relationships. And then what we've seen over the last few weeks as we look at this imagery that that Paul has given us of the armor of God is taking something that would have been right in their context in the ancient world and in the city of Ephesus of seeing Roman guards wearing the full armor. And as they are ready and dressed for battle, Paul says, you know what? There's something of that that can help us understand in, a, in an analogy, in a symbolic way, what it means to, to know the protection that comes from the Holy Spirit and how we ready ourselves for the attack of the evil one. We saw two weeks ago as Pastor Kristen started in to the first few verses in Ephesians chapter 6, um, starting verse number 10, taking us through um, this first unfolding of what it means to be living in a world where our battle, as Paul is telling us, is not against not against flesh and blood, but it's in spiritual ways against um, principalities and what he calls this present darkness, the the evil one that gets named the devil, the um, name Satan gets uh, in the Greek a word that uh, represents uh, the, the, the uh, attacker, the one who is a slanderer, the one who wants to come against. And um, how Paul says we need to be ready to stand strong in Christ Jesus for the attack of the enemy. And then he gives us this really practical way in, and symbolically of connecting the, the characteristics of one who follows Christ Jesus to the, the armor that a soldier would put on. And that's what we looked at last Sunday and are going to finish up today. And so last week, one of the things we saw as we were reading through these verses is how Paul is laying it out in the same way that a, that a soldier would have put on the armor to be prepared for the day. They wore their armor most days as they were ready um, for, for the attack, ready, um, standing on guard. And so let's look at these verses in chapter number six in the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read again the verses that we've read over the last few weeks, and then we'll look at the last um, few parts of the armor and bring this all together in application of what um, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through the scriptures this morning. So let's look at this, starting in verse number 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then Paul wraps it up with these words and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says 
that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador, one who has been sent, but he is in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And so what we've seen as we've looked at these verses from Paul is the, the fact that First of all, he's saying, be strong for the battle, be ready, have a strategy, have a plan. And as we're, as we're ready for the battle, know that it's, there's a battle that is raging on around us and that we need to be um, in Christ Jesus, ready to stand and stand strong. And then as we do that, we're standing firm in Christ Jesus. And so that's where, um, as we put on the armor metaphorically, what we're doing is we're taking on not a, not a literal armor to protect our literal physical bodies, but we're taking on an armor that is connected, as I said, back to these, these virtues, these characteristics of one who is in Christ Jesus. As we saw last Sunday, and I encourage you, if you're um, just jumping in with us today and you missed the last couple of weeks, you can go back and find the past sermons on our website, essenceplace.org. But you'll see um, that in the first couple of verses that we looked at in describing the armor, verse 14 talks about standing firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The fact that the truth, the truth of God is a, is a truth that brings it all together. And I think we have, we had images too, if you want to um, jump through those two, and you can show a, an example of the belt that would uh, gather up the tunic, that would bring it in and bring all things together. And so we see Paul connects it to truth and saying God's truth is a truth that brings things together. And for the soldier, it brought a reassurance. It, it brought things in tight and ready so that there was the ability to move um, in a battle, to be able to stand strong and stand firm and secure. And then in the same way, connected with that is a breastplate of righteousness, the, the armor that would cover around the core part of a soldier and how with the breast plate of righteousness, it wasn't just armor on the front, but it was a 360 protection around the vital organs, the parts of the body, with exception of the head that the helmet was on, where the, the soldier would need protection from the attack of the enemy. And so um, in that symbolically being connected to God's righteousness, Paul's saying with the truth of God and the righteousness of God, which is God's justice, God's, uh, God's truth telling, there's this ability to be able to, to know that we are, we are protected, that we're covered. And remember, this is a standing firm against the attack of the enemy. And the enemy, as Paul talks about, the, the evil one is the one who is the, the accuser, the slanderer, the one who wants to come against the truth of God. And so as we have the belt of truth and the, the breastplate of righteousness, what we're doing is we're taking on a protection by the Holy Spirit that's guarding um, the very core of who we are and saying that we are people who are in Christ Jesus. And so then we have the ability to stand and stand strong because we've been protected in Christ Jesus. And then the last part we looked at last week was the, the our feet being ready with um, the shoes that are the, the gospel of peace. And um, Looking at that, we had a picture of the, the shoes, of what a soldier's shoes are. And these aren't just your leather sandals. They're leather sandals with cleats. They would have um, a, little metal studs that were driven into the bottom of the shoe that gave them the ability to stand firm on whatever surface they were on. And in that standing firm, as Paul connects it to, he connects it to the gospel of peace. Gospel being the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, and saying it is a message of peace. And so it gives us the ability to know that we're standing firm but as we stand firm, we're standing firm with the peace of God. And the peace of God is not just a, you know, like a, a peace in solitude, a walk in nature, but it's a peace that is a, a reassurance, a resilience, a readiness, and knowing that I can stand and stand firm because I'm standing firm with my feet firmly planted on the gospel message of peace that is in Christ Jesus. 
So as we look at the, the next parts of the armor, one of the things that we want to remember is the fact that these, again, are symbolically Paul grabbing something and saying, here's an analogy, similar to the way that Jesus was a storyteller, and saying, I want to help you capture a, a deeper understanding, a deeper truth. And so I want to put something in front of you so you can see it, you can visualize it, and then that will help um, give resilience to your faith, strength to your faith. And today, something really special that I wish I had had last week is um, something that's on loan to us um, from a, a dear ministry friend, a pastor friend of ours that um, has spent some time studying these same verses. And then she found out that we were preaching through these same verses. And she said, you know what you need? You need my armor. And I said, okay. And so um, Pastor Kristen was able yesterday to meet up with her and she loaned some parts of her armor to us. And what she had done this other pastor was um, in studying the book of Ephesians to preach at her church and preach through the armor of God. Um, she started researching and she found people that um, have recreations of what the armor looked like and what it pretty close that we can have in contemporary build for what it would look like then. And so um, for the next three pieces of the armor, I actually have those pieces with us to show. You guys want to see this? So the next thing is um, taking up the shield of faith. So this is in verse number 16. And um, I give a shout out to my pastor friend, Pastor Paulette. Thank you for letting us borrow the armor. And this stuff is heavy and it's made out of metal and it is so cool. Let me bring this up here. My kids were wanting to play with it. And I said, no, we're not, not right now. Um, so this is, this is a piece of armor. <laughs> This uh, represents the shield of faith. And we have a picture. Can we go to the, the picture of um, some of the other recreations? So the one thing that um, uh, Pastor Paulette reminded me of is that this one is much smaller. Theirs would have been closer to like two foot by four foot. So you kind of see a picture here. But this is a, a pretty close representation. The only thing missing on this one is that it would have been wrapped in, in leather on the outside. And there's a point for that in just a moment. But one of the things about the, the shield is the fact that it's not a, it wasn't a small shield. It wasn't a little, you know, like some of the kids' toys we see, a little small round shield. But it was actually meant to be a large piece of armor that um, was a, a defense. And you can see in these pictures, this next picture, how when you have um, a group of soldiers together, they would actually be able to bring their shields together. They called it a tortoise formation. Why do you think that is? Like a, like a turtle shell, right? And it would come together and they could actually build a movable wall that could get them closer and closer, advance on the enemy and protect uh, against the attack of the enemy. Now, one of the neat things about in the ancient world when these, when these um, shields would have been made is that um, they were actually many times covered on the outside with some layers of wood and, and then leather. And then they would be dipped and soaked so that they were a little bit wet as they went into battle. And Paul brings this out as he talks about the shield, and he says, the shield is there to what? Extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. So when that shield caught an arrow that had been dipped in tar and was made to send fire over and to, to set you on fire, it would actually hit and pierce against it, but then the water would be able to extinguish it. And so what's so cool about this, I'm getting more excited. I wish I'd had this last week. Is it, can you sense my excitement? There's something about standing holding a shield that just makes you feel empowered. I may need to preach with one every week. Um, but you can feel this way every day as you take up the armor of God. There you go. <laughs> um, but what's so neat about it is that in, in symbolically what Paul is saying is, okay, you're not going to walk around with a literal shield throughout your day. But what you're doing as you ready yourself with the, with the armor of God, you are in advance making the preparation with God's help to be 
able to defend yourself against the attack of the enemy, to be able to, to stand reassured knowing that you're not out there on your own. It's not just your body exposed to the attack of the enemy, but that God has put tools in your hands to be able to stand and stand strong and stand firm. And so one of the things that Paul makes the connection for us is that the shield of faith is, is just that. It's the work of faith that actually brings this barrier, this protection between us and the attack of the enemy. It's not us just, just standing on our own, like I said, but it's actually knowing that by the shield of faith, we have this defense between us and the attack of the enemy. When we think about um, the evil one, as Paul talks about it, he names this, that there are these fiery arrows that the, that the accuser, the slanderer, the evil one wants to fire our way. And, and what could those be? I mean, what, are those, what do those represent? Well, obviously, there's the spiritual elements to it, the accusations of the evil one that he would be throwing against us and bringing those accusations against our, our mind and our spirit. But at the same time, we see with those, those attacks of the accuser is arrows that are fired that maybe are arrows of self-doubt. Arrows that would say, you know, you're not who you think you are. You, you, you know, God may say you're a child of God, but, but I know the truth about you. And so the, the, the accuser starts to throw those arrows that would give us the place of doubting our, our belonging in the family of God. The, the arrows that would want to come and pierce into us that um, attack our acceptance by Christ Jesus or the power of redemption through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so when we see a shield of faith, it's connected to Faith, the thing that is this, this understanding, this reassurance that gives us resilience. You know, the, the enemy may fire arrows that is an attack against our understanding um, of our place of belonging, knowing that we are part of the family of God through Christ Jesus. But I think that there are sometimes those arrows that are not just that external attack against our understanding, but maybe it's arrows that are fired to, to, to attack our, our internal world our internal sense of, of reassurance and belonging. Uh, maybe there are arrows that become those arrows that are, are sent to, to attack us in a way of, of leading to temptation or, or distractions from a focus of faith or into places of disobedience or maybe even a place of taking on fear. And so we have to realize that when the enemy fires arrows, these aren't arrows that are just meant to do a little bit of injury, you know, bring a little bit of harm. But when an enemy fires an arrow, it's meant to cause death. And so what Paul is saying here is when you take up that shield, it's meant to stop those arrows, those attacks of the enemy that are meant to bring death. And by faith, when we hold up the shield of faith, what we're doing is we're saying, by God's help, my very life, my very being is protected by my faith that I have in Christ Jesus. And so we're called to take up the shield. The shield, this one, I mean, this one's a little bit heavy. Um, I think if I was going to carry it all day, I'd probably have to visit the gym a little more often. <laughs> because I don't go to the gym at all, um, but to be able to carry this around, and especially in advance in battle, like soldiers had to work out. They had, to, they had routines and regimens that would cause them to build up the resilience. It was strategic and planned by those that were overseeing the soldiers to have them take on, put on the armor. The armor was heavy, and to, to practice what they, how they would move and work within a battle, and so this was a daily habit, and what it was doing is every time those soldiers put on the armor and picked up the shield and picked up their sword and they carried it even with the weight of it what they're doing is they're strengthening their body they're strengthening their endurance they're strengthening the resilience and so we have to understand that when Paul connects us back to our understanding of faith he's saying be strong in faith the more you pick up that shield the stronger you're getting so spend some time every day taking up the shield of faith 
Earlier in Ephesians, Paul has written it for us already. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, if you want to overcome, you overcome by faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, he says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so what is Paul saying here when he, when he describes it this way? What he's saying is that we have been saved by faith, but the faith is not something of our own. It's not something you have to conjure up on your own. It's not something that you have to like try to work to, to, to create faith in your life, but it actually is coming as a gift from God. And as you receive it, and as you work to strengthen your faith, it's something that you can grow in. And then what does it do? It provides a defense against the attack of the enemy whether external or internal, the attack of the enemy. And then one last thing, because I want to make sure that I have, I don't spend too much time in, with each one of these so that we have time to get through all of them. But one of the, one of the most awesome things, can we go back on um, the pictures to the, the um, shields that were together? That formation. Here's what I love about this. To me, when I look at that, I can see, again, the analogy, the symbolism of what it means when we collectively, you know where I'm going with this, when we collectively come together as the community of faith, when we unite our, our, our shields together, when we stand strong together, we're actually able to have a community defense, this way to be able to stand resilient and strong together. We need this now more than, than any other time <laughs> I think, is to be able to stand united together, putting our shields up together alongside one another, being strong for one another, and knowing that there is a resilience that we create and that we build that's given by God when we stand together, that we cannot find that same protection, that same defense if we're out on our own, if we're doing things on our own. Yes, I get it. The church is not the building. You've heard this. This has been on Facebook. It's been everywhere. When, when COVID was shutting the country down, you know, the church is not the building. The church has left the building. What's the church? The church is us, right? We are the church. We are the body of Christ, but we are the body of Christ together. We're not created to be out there on our own with our shield by ourselves, trying to attack from the, uh, protect ourselves from the attack of the enemy alone. We're meant to stand together, in formation alongside one another. So if somebody's getting a little weak, we can help lift that shield up together. So when you think about your life, when you think about the way that you relate to others within the community of faith, whether literally within the church essence place or other um, believers, other fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in, in the Lord, then we talk about being children of God. It's that place of saying, okay, how am I strengthening others? How am, I, how am I bringing the shield of faith that I'm carrying alongside somebody else to lift them up and to strengthen them, to stand in formation together? So Paul says we need, we need the, the shield of faith so we can stand strong against the arrows, but then we know that the enemy's firing arrows, and, and we've talked about protecting most of the body except for the head, and so now we get to see the helmet. Are you ready for this? Here we go. This thing's heavy, too, and I'm not going to put it on. Sorry. <laughs> What? You really want me to put it on? Yeah. Oh, come on. I wasn't going to do it. It's going to mess up my glass. Uh, my hair. You're going to hold my mic. I'm not. I'll just put it on for a minute, and then I'll take it back off. <laughs> Thank you. You really want me to do this? I don't even know if it'll fit my head. I have a big head. Thank you. You guys watching online. My head isn't even It is It is really heavy. It's very it heavy. Very heavy. <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go. <laughs> 
you guys are going to post this stuff on Facebook. And uh, people are going to be like, what is he doing? It's dress up. It's Halloween. Surprise. No. Um, okay. Do you get your pictures? <laughs> this actually takes a little bit of balancing. So what was cool about the helmet as I wear it is that um, I guess it would, you'd have to have a strong neck. And um, the, the helmets are not all created the same. So this one's got this kind of cool red plume on the top. But um, what you see here is the helmet is created in a way so that it, it protects the, the head, but then it's also would have extra parts that come out to protect the neck on the back. But then also there's the cutouts for the ears so that it's not, it's not a head fully enclosed, but there's ears open to be able to hear commands that are being given. And then depending on um, what, uh, do we have the picture? What, uh, look at the picture real quick too, because I think it looks, yeah, so here you see one that is, um, this is obviously from the ancient world, but um, no, no like plume or you know, stuff on the top here. But um, what it would be is as uh, soldiers are in formation, those that were further back, higher up commanders and different ones like that, they could look out on the battle and they would be able to tell by the different types of helmets and, and the decoration that's on the top. Some of them have that go this way, some would go this way, or maybe a different color. It would represent where different soldiers were on the field. And so they could literally give commands and know where the soldiers are moving um, around on the, um, on the battlefield. And so what's so awesome about this is the fact that as we think about the helmet, we see like Paul connects it to the helmet of salvation. And so he said, you take up the shield of faith and then you put on the helmet of salvation. And at that point, you've got truth, you've got righteousness protecting you, you've got the helmet of salvation on, you've got the shield of faith, you've brought together truth, righteousness, faith, and salvation, all of these things that bring this reassurance of ability to be able to stand and stand strong. You know, I, I, I can't say it enough times that when Paul is talking about this, he's again, he's not saying that you, you literally need to go out and get, you know, replica armor and put it on every day to read it yourself, you know, uh, but it's the place of moving through a spiritual practice, a spiritual faith practice that is bringing you into a remembrance of the fact that God is your covering. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God is giving you the ability to stand strong and stand firm in the battle. And so when we see when we see the armor like this, one of the things that it's reminding us of is there's intentionality. Through the, through the helmet of salvation, the, the most obvious noticeable thing of a soldier um, is this place of knowing the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And so there's this place of seeing the, the, the faith and salvation that are represented in the, the blood, the body of Jesus Christ that was broken and resurrected for us and to know salvation in that sense. But we have to realize too that all too often, what happens for us is, um, this doesn't want to sit down there. Here, I'm going to set it back here. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, so what we see, though, with when we think of salvation, so many times we, we kind of narrow down our understanding of salvation in a biblical sense to be, well, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He is the Savior. And so through Jesus Christ, we understand salvation as kind of this eternal view of, of my soul is now secure in eternity, and, and I have this re restored relationship with God. But we miss the fact that the salvation of Jesus Christ is also being worked out in our lives daily, and that we have this responsibility to actually be living out of the, the faith and the salvation of God in a daily way and that we can actually know God and know the goodness of God as a tangible sign of salvation in our life. And so when we're standing firm, it's due to, to God's saving work, God's salvation work in us. I mean, 
you think about it in this way, and this is, this is really interesting because we see even in the book of Acts, Paul goes and he, he debates with the um, Stoic philosophers. And they, you know, the Stoics um, were philosophers that were trying to understand the mind and the body and, and the early work of um, philosophy. And they were in this place of always debating. And, um, you know, where is, where is this, a person's sense of identity or their being? And where is it located in the body? Is it outside the body? And, and trying to understand all of that. And what Paul does here is he connects back to this literal sense of us being connected with our bodies and how important it is that the, the battle, although it's not against flesh and blood, we are spiritually, we're connected with our bodies. And so what he's saying is as you, as you put on the helmet over, over your head and it sits and it rests on there, that it's like the salvation of God is covering over this most vital part of you, of, over your mind, over your, your understanding of your mind and your emotions and protecting it. And that's a vital part of the work of God. And so when we experience God working in that by the Holy Spirit, it's a way of, again, getting to experience this tangible expression of God's saving work that is continually saving us day after day. In another book, that a letter that Paul wrote, the letter to the Romans, he says this in Romans chapter number 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So think about it. The helmet of salvation rests on top of your head. It's, it's the salvation of God resting over your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, is God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, there's this um, powerful and redeeming quality to the work of God in our lives. And when we allow God to be the one protecting our minds, it's like Paul is saying here through the Holy Spirit that there's this renewing of our mind that God is doing. And so again, don't misunderstand what, what I'm saying here. Like Jesus is the only way for salvation in, in that eternal sense. But with that said, like I wholeheartedly believe that there are avenues of God's grace in our lives where we can encounter that redeeming salvation work day after day in the moments. And so when we're no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, when we, when we have taken on the armor of God and we're standing strong against the attack of the enemy, what we're doing is what Paul's talked about here of being transformed. When, we, when we've put that helmet of salvation, when we've allowed God's saving work to, to start in our mind and flow through our bodies, what we're doing is we're being transformed through the renewing of our mind. And so this is one of those places where there's this display of the salvation of God working in us. The ability to stand firm against the attack of the enemy. And no, we've got our shield and we've got our helmet. Like we're fully protected and we're covered in the work of Jesus Christ. But then there's one other part that Paul names. And that's the sword. You ready to see it? I got the sword out. So this is the sword of the spirit, verse number 17, which is Paul connects it back to the word of God. So let's take a look at this. I may actually see if I, how I can hold this and do both things here. So my kids thought this was plastic at first, but it is not. It's pretty cool, right? So one of the things about the word that Paul uses in the Greek when he names this, you know, it gets translated for us as sword. But when you go back and you look at the word that's there, um, there's obviously different types of weapon, weaponry that um, soldiers would carry. But the sword that he names is a sword that would be about this size. So it's, it's not the huge, long, uh, long blade, but it's a short blade. And it would have been extremely sharp. This one is fairly sharp, but it's not completely sharpened down but um, sharp enough that it could do some damage. 
But um, one of the things about this sword is um, because it's a short sword, it was intended for um, close, close battle. You know, it's, you're not going to fight somebody far off like you would maybe with a spear or with arrows, but it's meant for um, battle that was up close and, and within somebody's personal space with arm, within arm's reach. And so um, it's in a way, it's still what's interesting about this is, you know, all the other pieces of the armor have been protection, right? Like, um, you know, you put on the, the breastplate or the shield, those are all protection. And this, while it would be a weapon for attack, it's really because it's smaller, it's a weapon of defense and fighting off and, and holding off the attack. But it's not, again, an attack from an enemy far away, but an enemy that has come close. And so as Paul is, um, and this is heavy too, as I hold it and I talk about it, um, Paul knows that the enemy is going to be making an assault and is going to be getting up close, getting in your face. And so what he's saying is God has given us a weapon. He's given us the sword. And this, this weapon, this sword would have been very precise. I mean, precise, clear damage. He's saying that um, and with the attack of the enemy that would come, as you pick up the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you have the ability to stand firm against the attack of the enemy that has come close and to actually be able to do some fighting back and standing strong. The writer of Hebrews explains it this way. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, the Hebrew writer says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So we have to remember in Paul's context, in that New Testament early church context, when he, when he talks about the word of God, or even when the writer of Hebrews is talking about the word of God, the word of God is, is kind of seen in two ways. There was the ancient understanding of the word of God that would have been, you know, the, the ancient Hebrew scriptures, most of what we would consider the Old Testament. Um, it would have been the written word of God, the scriptures that were read in the temple, the, the words that they would have been, if they were Jewish and had raised, been raised in the Jewish faith, would have been memorized and repeated in their home from childhood. So when Paul talks about the word of God, he's naming both that ancient understanding of the word of God, but then also a new understanding that was beginning to be formed within the early church and the community of faith. And those were the words of Jesus. Because you have to remember at the time that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's writing a letter that um, you know, we know is the New Testament. We know that this letter is the, uh, becomes part of our Bible, but at the point it's being written, there, there's no Bible yet. You know, the Bible hadn't been formalized. The, the books of the Bible hadn't been brought together yet. And these letters were just being written. The stories of Jesus were being captured and recorded and being passed around. And so when he talks about the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God, he's talking about this ancient understanding of who God is and the faithfulness of God, but then bringing it into what would have been their contemporary understanding of saying there are also the words of Jesus, the, the way of Jesus that we're walking in, that have become the word of God, God incarnate, Jesus who has taken on flesh. And so as we stand ready for the battle with, with the, the sword of uh, the spirit in our hands and the word of God as that, as that weapon, it gives us the ability to accurately discern and understand, to separate out truth from fiction, to be able, as the scriptures say, um, to be able to separate between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, that, it, that it's this exposing that starts to happen. When we look at the word of God, it gives us this way of being able to hold up a comparison 
The Bible is not you know, meant to be a, 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 a science textbook or a medical book or, or something that would lay out um, a, a contemporary understanding of, of areas of science and technology and those things. But what it is intended to do is bring us back to this deeper, more universal, overarching truth of who God is, who God has created us to be, and how we're supposed to walk in faith trusting in God and experiencing the work of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so sometimes the, the Bible, the word of God comes under attack and people go, well, you know, it, you know, compare this verse with that verse. And, and how do you make this make sense in, in 2020? And how do you do that? And I think what we have to do in those moments is number one, allow the Bible to be like the, the sword that it can do its own work. It can stand firm on its own because it's the work of the Holy Spirit you know, within the, the world of theology, it's talked about the illumination that the Holy Spirit does of bringing the word of God alive for us. As we read it, it comes alive in our hearts. And we read the stories of Jesus and the work of Jesus and what Jesus was preaching and saying. We not only can visualize it before us, but it starts to transform our hearts. It starts to transform our spirits. It starts to transform our understanding of the world around us and the way that we view others. And so as we take up the sword of the Spirit, we're not going out looking for a fight, we're not going out looking to attack, but what we are doing is we're standing ready and standing strong because we're saying in a, in a strategic way that I am, I'm working with the Spirit of God to be able to stand firm. So when the attack of the enemy comes my way, when, when the, the voice of the enemy starts to ring in my ears a little too loud, cha changing the way that I understand myself or the way that I see others, I'm able to say, no, I can actually divide out like the scripture says, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. I can divide out truth from fiction. I can, try, I can um, be able to stand strong and know what God says about me, about the, the image of God that others bear. And I cannot succumb to the attack of the enemy, but I can actually stand firm against the attack of the enemy. And so while we have the ability to be able to see scripture and see the word of God, I don't want that to when we have the ability to be able to see scripture and the word of God to, yes, inform ourselves, but it also becomes a weapon that is not a weapon meant out, to, like I said, to go out and attack and make an advance against the, the enemy in that way. But it's a way of being ready to be able to stand firm and stand strong. We've got truth buckled around us. We've got righteousness upon our hearts. We've got our minds protected by God's salvation. We're holding up the shield of faith and we are ready and so what comes, um, again, is this ability to be able to see even the word of God to give us strength and resilience against the attack of the enemy. This is the example that we even see with Jesus in the Gospels. When we look at Jesus, there's a moment, and it's recorded in, um, in more detail in, of Jesus' life in the book of uh, Luke, in Luke's Gospel, in chapter number four, where Jesus ventures into the wilderness. He's been He's been baptized. He's been declared that he is the son of God. There's been this voice, this beautiful moment when he's baptized, and then he heads into the wilderness. And as he's there in isolation, the enemy comes to attack. And what's so amazing about this moment as the enemy starts to attack, there's different ways, and we don't have time to get in all of it today. I would love to, but there are different ways that the enemy starts to come against Jesus' understanding of himself, of God, of, of even um, of the world, and his uh, trying to tempt him to possess it in a way that would actually give in to the, the devil's temptation. But each time what we see when Jesus is tempted, the devil, this is what scripture says in um, Luke chapter number four, he says, the devil says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus responds back using the scriptures. He says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. 
And so what he starts to do is every time the enemy starts to attack, what does he do? He picks up the word of God, the ancient scriptures, and he's able to fight off and hold against the attack. When the, when the devil comes to him and he says, you know, look at all of these earthly kingdoms. All you have to do is, is worship me and I will give them all to you. Jesus replies again, and the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He take, the devil takes Jesus to this highest point above the temple and he says, throw yourself down from here and God's angels will lift you up and protect you and keep you safe. And Jesus responds again with the word of God and says, scriptures must also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And so what we see happening here is this example of, of Jesus and then even in the writing of Paul of saying, if we want to win our contemporary fight against the attack of the enemy, the battle that's raging all around us, we have to see, number one, that it is spiritual and God has enabled us to be able to stand firm, that we hold tight to faith, salvation, but also the word of God, which becomes this place of bringing strength to our soul, to our spirit. And now, Again, if you've been around church for a while, if you've been a part of a community faith for a while, it may sound like obvious statements. Well, of course, we need faith. Of course, we need the salvation, the saving work of God. We, we need the, the word of God. We need to, to be able to trust um, that there's truth from God. Like those, in some sense, they may connect with us in a very known, familiar way, but all too often, the very things that we neglect are the things that we, we know a little too well. We've gotten a little comfortable with. Maybe the armor, it, we, don't, we don't feel the weight of it as much anymore because we're just kind of used to it being there. And so then the, the sword kind of lays to the side and it gets a little dusty because we haven't picked it up in a while. Or maybe the shield, you know, it's like, well, you know, it's been a little while since I've really felt an attack. Maybe I don't need the shield as much today as I did, you know, last week, last month, last year. And so we can find ourselves getting in this pattern, this way of living where we unintentionally start to neglect the, the, the purposeful taking on the armor of God, of this readying ourselves for the battle. I love it that Paul says that the battle is going to come. We know it because we're living in this present darkness. But as the battle comes, we have the ability after the storm of the, of the battle has raged on around us to stand and stand firm and know that we're still standing strong. And the only way that it happens is when we have been strengthened by the spirit of God. So, we have to ask ourselves, when we, when we look at, um, uh, kind of in a self-examining sort of way, examining sort of way, listening to the Holy Spirit, are we truly wearing the armor of God? Have you, have you truly put on the armor of God, and, and do you tend to it daily? Do, are, you, are you intentionally and purposefully standing on the, the gospel of peace and letting that be your reassurance and your strength? Are you carrying the shield and the sword? Even though sometimes the weight of it kind of, it feels a little heavy. Are you letting that be the endurance and, and the strengthening that your body needs? Or instead, have you built some armor that maybe feels a little lighter, but it's your own armor? Your own self-defenses? Have we tried to hold off from the attack of the enemy by, by putting up barriers around us of withdrawing and isolating? And that it's not really truly the, the armor of God that's protecting us anymore, but it's some self-made armor. Like my kids, when they find sticks in the backyard or some, you know, some foil and different things like that, and they can build this imaginary world in their mind, you know, kids do that, and, and it's, it's good, it's play. But if we're doing that as adults in a, in a spiritual sense, when it comes to being spiritually ready for the battle, we are not going to be able to stand strong. This is serious, what Paul is talking about here. 
and, and as he moves into this place of wrapping up his letter and this place of concluding his message here, he's, he's kind of painted this really epic um, kind of end times battle scene that he's talking about being ready for. And then he moves to verse number 18, Ephesians 6, verse number 18. And he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. And then he gives this warning, stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We have to realize this is our strategy. It's this praying in the spirit at all times, of of praying within the the covering and the strengthening that comes from the Holy Spirit and doing it on all occasions, all occasions, not just when it feels like the world's kind of collapsing around you or the rug's been pulled out from under you and saying, oh, I need a prayer right now. God, help me. Yeah, pray in those moments, but also pray in advance. Pray as you put on the armor of God that you're praying before the attack has come because that's where the strengthening comes. I mean, the book of James tells us that, you know, there's, as we go through trials and difficulties, there's a, there's a persistence and a resilience that comes to a fa- our faith, a strengthening of our faith through those trials. But the way that we are able to stand strong in the trials is because we have been taking on the armor of God. We've been taking on the helmet of salvation and wearing it. We've been holding up the shield of faith. We've been, we've been holding the sword of the spirit and we've been letting the word of God do that, that slicing and dicing it needs to do so that we can get down to the, the raw truth of who God is. And that's something that is happens. It happens daily. It happens throughout the day. And as Paul says, you have to stay alert and be persistent. And in some ways, when we hear this, it can feel overwhelming. Maybe it can even feel self-condemning. Maybe it, it, it feels like um, somehow like we, we're, we haven't done enough in the past. So for this present moment and going forward, like, well, all hope is lost. But that's not what Paul says, is it? He says, to stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And I want you to know that those who are are strong in the faith are praying for others in the faith. I pray for you as a pastor. Pastor Kristen and I regularly pray for our community of faith. We pray for you. As we're praying, we, we call to mind your name, your face. We pray for your home. We're, we think of what God has, has already brought you through and what God will continue to bring you through. And so there's this ability that even the moments when, when you feel weak or maybe you haven't done enough to, to stay strong in the faith, there are others who are praying on your behalf and praying for you. And this is what moves us to a place of holding hope, of standing confident. John, in, in John 16, Jesus says that, that we, can do, we can do this and we do this together. Jesus tells us, he says, here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. He's the conquering hero. Paul doesn't say put on the the armor and go out and become the conquering warrior hero. Build a name for yourself. Build an identity, a brand for yourself as, you know, conqueror in the faith. It's not what he says. He says that so that you can stand strong, so you can stand strong alongside other believers and stand against the attack of the enemy and know that our conquering hero is Christ Jesus, who has completed it and has done the work. And so then we have the ability to hold confidence in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says this. He says in, in, in all of this, as we're praying, it's not just the act of prayer alone, but it's our regular communing with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, and knowing that that is what strengthens us, that gives us the ability to stay alert and be persistent in our prayers. So there's a multitude of different ways of what that can look like. 
I know for some people, they um, go through a season after reading these verses of, of going symbolically in the morning as they're praying and, and putting on the helmet and, and taking a moment and praying through what that means and, and kind of symbolically going through the motions of putting on the breastplate and, and, and doing that or maybe praying through it and teaching it to their kids. Whatever way you find to connect this to your regular faith practice is a way that God is strengthening that in you and helping you have the resilience that you need. Will you stand with me now? And I want to, I want to move to a place of, of prayer in this. And I think, you know, last week we had a moment of just reflection of, of self-examining again and, and listening to Holy Spirit and saying, okay, where are the areas that I, I don't have the full armor on my body? I haven't, I haven't taken on the full armor of God. And now we've gone through all of those different pieces. And so as we begin to pray now, what I'm what I ask for you to do is just in this moment of listening to the Holy Spirit, to, to listen to, as, as Paul has been saying here and describing and knowing that there is a wholeness and a completeness in the way that Jesus desires to give protection, to give strength, that there is this place of um, strategically responding to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you now and knowing that with faith there's intentionality that you can take on of, of being strengthened in your daily life. And knowing that it's not just for yourself, but it's for others that you care for. It's for, um, you know, if, you, if you're a parent giving care to, to children that are still in your home, it's teaching them how to be strong and resilient in the faith. It's, it's actually, in a way, um, helping us learn from one another. So in this, I want to invite us to a place of listening to the Holy Spirit now. And I'm going to pray for us. And as we pray, I believe that, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and invite you into new ways of experiencing the armor of God that's protecting you daily. God, as we pray now, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, reminding us of who we are in you. Through chapter 6, Paul is, has laid out some pretty, pretty serious dynamics of what exists between the powers of light and darkness. What exists between the, the attack of the enemy against the faith of believers. And... Jesus, as we've listened to that, maybe through that, you've revealed to us some areas of our life where we've let our defenses down, where we've not stayed as strong as we needed to. And so, Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would let us be able to, to begin to heal and strengthen from the attack of the enemy, to not take on condemnation, which is one of the tools of the enemy, but to actually take on a place of wholeness and forgiveness by your Holy Spirit. As we put the, the helmet of salvation on our heads, would you do that work of, of saving us again, of renewing us, of making us new in Christ Jesus? I pray, God, that as we hold up the shield of faith, that it would, that it would build up our strength. As we carry that heavy shield of faith, that um, it would do the work of defending against the attack of the enemy, but that it also would be the thing that through trials and through um, attack and persecution, like James talks about in the book of James, it would also bring a strengthening to our faith. Lord, we know that we can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, and so I pray, God, that you would encourage us today in new paths and new ways of moving closer to you, of looking like you, at the end of Ephesians, Paul writes this, his, his final blessing, and I want to pray it over you as well this morning. He says, peace with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may the God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that for you today, that God would give you love with faithfulness. 
love that's not just experienced in a moment of being moved by the Holy Spirit, but a love that comes with faithfulness, a, a, a strategic type of love and faithfulness that is lived out daily. I pray, God, that as we go into whatever the, the battles will be that we face in this coming week, or maybe the battles that have been raging on for a very long time, that you would give us a renewed strength in our mind, a renewed strength in our soul and spirit, that our bodies would be, be whole and healthy and strong in you. I pray that as we live out that example of faith, sometimes it's confusing to others. It's confusing to the world around us because it doesn't, it doesn't conform to the pattern of this world, but that Christ Jesus, as we live in you, I pray God that it would be something that creates curiosity in others. How can you have peace in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a battle? And that it would give us opportunity to use the word of God and the shield of faith and, and to talk about what it means to express our faith, our hope, our trust in you. I pray, God, that you would help us daily put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, that you would strengthen the, the foundation on our feet with the, the gospel shoes of peace, that you would help us, Lord, as we, as we pick up the shield of faith and as we buckle the helmet of salvation on our heads, and in our hands, we hold tightly to the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. God, we stand before you today and we say, we are ready. Give us strength to stand in you, we pray. Amen.